are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Hey, buddy, I wish you'd do that when I'm preaching in a minute. Just run back and... Man, that is awesome. I wish I could have got in on this Sunday school promotion. I have a Mustang convertible. It's awesome. It'll peel your ears back. It'll outrun any Camaro any day of the week. In fact, Chevrolet is in the Bible. Every creeping thing upon the face of the earth. And... Uh, Dodge is too, but we don't even talk about that, amen? But this is wonderful tonight. I enjoyed the testimonies of the missionaries, and I never cease to be amazed at the power of the gospel. And wherever it's preached, it's the power of God unto salvation. I asked Brother Treber when he wanted it back, he said 10 after 7, so I have three minutes tonight but I want to thank you for being here and I encourage you to come back on Monday and Tuesday night. I promise you we won't keep you all night and it would encourage the missionaries, it would encourage your pastor and it'd make you feel like you like me and I appreciate it if you'd come back tonight. Boy, the Lord is good and I praise the Lord for the goodness of God in the land of the living. I told the pastor a mother-in-law joke last night and he didn't want me to tell it. So if you get mad, don't get mad at me. And, but this guy had a mean mother-in-law. Does anybody know what that's like? God bless you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you, sir. I see that. God bless you, sir. And she always told him, I hate you so bad that when I die, I want to claw my way up out of my grave and haunt you in the middle of the night. Scared that old boy to death. He told his buddies at work, man, everybody was scared. Well, finally, she passed, and thank God. And um, <laughs> he went back to work, and his friend said, are you afraid she's going to dig her way up out of that grave and haunt you? He said, nope. said, I burned her face down. Let her dig, boys, let her dig. <laughs> Actually, he told me that joke, and I just repeated it, amen. Oh, my. If you got your Bible tonight, wave it real high and turn to somebody and say, I've got the Word of God. And you love the Lord tonight, say amen. I love my Bible. I love it because it is true. I love it because it is accurate. I love it because it is eternal. I love it because it is dependable. But I also love it because it is beautiful. Some of the most beautiful language on earth is found in the covers of this Bible. Uh, I mean, you can't beat this without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. How that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Man, that's beautiful. You're not going to improve on, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. Man, that's beautiful. You can't improve on this for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's not only true, but it's beautiful. Man, it's going to be hard to improve on this. And unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests unto God his Father. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. The Bible is true. The Bible is faithful. The Bible is dependable and it is beautiful. Well, I said all that to say this. The text I'm going to read tonight, there's a little phrase found in it that I had never seen before. And when I read that phrase, it's not only true, but it's beautiful. And it got a hold of me, and it won't let me go. And so I'm like a little cloud trying to find a place to thunder. So I'm going to read this verse and just go wild for about four and a half hours. But I love this verse, and I love this thought. Read it with me tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. And the thought is in verse number six. It is not only true, but it's beautiful to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number six. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you. And here is this phrase. Say it with me. That ye may bring me on my journey, whithersoever I go. And that little phrase got a hold of me. That ye may bring me on my journey. Paul said, I'm headed somewhere. There's a journey that I am on. But I cannot get there by myself. So God has put you in my life. Not to drive me, to push me, or to pull me but to bring me on my journey. And remember this tonight, if you bring somebody on their journey, you get to go too. And remember this tonight, if you bring somebody on their journey, you get to go to the same place that they're going. And tonight all of us can look back on our life and see the people that God sovereignly, providentially has put in our life, not to pull us and push us and drag us, but to bring us on our journey. That little phrase, bring me on my journey, was a guide's term who takes the traveler by the arm and hand and not only guides them, but walks with them through uncharted territory, making sure that they reach their destination. I wonder if there's anybody in this room tonight, you can think of people that God has put in your life, that they took you by the arm and hand, and they walked with you through uncharted territory and they brought you tonight to your destination. The scripture plainly tells us that no man lives to himself or dies to himself. I'm glad tonight I'm not the only preacher. I'm glad tonight I'm not the only Christian. I'm glad to be part of the household of faith. I'm glad to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm glad to be a part of the army of the Lord. I'm glad tonight that we have the Lord. I'm glad we have Jesus. I'm glad we have the Holy Spirit. I'm glad we have the Bible. I'm glad we have the blood of Christ. But I'm glad we have each other because there is a journey ahead and we can't make it on our own. 
But God has put people in our life to take us by the heart and the arm and hand and walk with us and bring us through uncharted territory, making sure that we reach our destination, that ye may bring me on my journey. Every time I think of that, I'm reminded of the poem that a lot of us grew up listening to about the man who died and he stood before the Lord and he looked back over his life and there were two sets of footprints in the sand. And the man asked the Lord what the two sets of footprints were. And the Lord said, my child, one is yours and one is mine. And the man noticed when he got to a deep, dark, perilous place, there was only one set. And the man looked up at the Lord and said, Lord, why did you leave me when I needed you the most? Why are there only one set of footprints in the dark, deep places of my life? And the Lord said, oh, my child, that one set of footprints, they're not yours, they're mine. That's when you were so tired and weary and weak, you couldn't walk yourself. So I picked you up and I carried you through. Most of us would not be here tonight had God not put somebody in our life not to drive us and push us and pull us, but bring us upon our journey. When you realize tonight who is saying this, it speaks volumes. This is the great Apostle Paul. And when he speaks of my journey, it speaks of several things to me. Number one, my journey. There were trials that he had to face. Go home tonight and read 2 Corinthians 11 and Paul will enumerate all the things he had to go through in his life. He knew what it was to be cold and hungry and naked. He knew what it was to be in peril on land and on the sea. He knew what it was to fight thieves and robbers and even have to fight battles by his own countrymen. But yet at the end of his life, Paul was not a quitter and Paul was not a used to be and Paul was not a has been. He faced the trials of life. Because every time the mountain got high and the valley got deep and the river got wide, God put somebody in his life to hold him by the heart and hand and they brought him upon his journey. And I'm glad the trials we face, we're not alone. God gives us people to bring us upon our journey. There were trials he had to face. Then I think about the Apostle Paul. That was a task that he had to finish. God called him to preach. God called him to be a missionary. And God used this man to plant Christianity all over the earth. In fact, we're having church over here tonight because Paul had church over there many years ago. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, he could say emphatically, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, and I kept the faith. But he did not do that alone. He did not do that by himself. God put somebody in his life to bring him on his journey to help him finish the task. There were trials he had to face. There was a task he had to finish. And then, of course, there were thorns that he had to feel. A man knew what it was to hurt emotionally, spiritually, and physically. He had that unremovable thorn that God said, I'm not going to remove it, but I'll tell you what I will do. My grace is sufficient for thee. And he could feel that thorn and stay in the battle and not burn out and not turn back, but to press on towards the mark of the high calling that is in Jesus Christ because he was not abandoned. He was not forsaken. He was not deserted. When he needed somebody the most, God was faithful to put somebody in his life, not to push him and drag him and pull him, but to take him by the arm and heart and hand and bring 
bring him upon his journey. Can I say this tonight? I am what I am because of the grace of God. I am what I am because of the Holy Spirit and the Bible. But I am what I am tonight because God has been so faithful to put people in my life that I needed to take me by my arm and heart and hand and walk with me and pray with me and weep with me and cry with me and hurt with me and they brought me upon my journey. I would like to bring Paul tonight up here to the witness stand and I'd like to ask him, Paul, can you name anybody? Paul, can you put a name with that phrase that you brought me upon my journey? Paul, who was it in your life that God used to help you finish your course? And I believe Paul would say, well, that's easy. Number one, I need to tell you about my friend named Barnabas. Why, Paul, why do you love Barnabas so much? He would say, Brother Joe, if you don't know that, you must not know much about my personal testimony. What do you mean by that, Brother Paul? Paul would say, Joe, I've not always been Brother Paul. I've not always been Pastor Paul. I've not always been Preacher Paul. What do you mean by that? Paul would say, Brother Joe, before I got saved, I was a booger. I was mean. I was awful. I was a hell-bound sinner. Brother Joe, I was so wicked that I gave the first part of my life to kill Christians. Every waking moment of the day, I was spending my thoughts and my energy trying to figure out how to squash and stamp out that early church in its infant state. Brother Joe, I was so wicked and mean and dangerous that when you mentioned my old name, Saul of Tarshish, grown men shook in their shoes, women cried, and children ran and hid their faces. Oh, but Brother Joe, one night on the Damascus Road, something got a hold of me. I saw a light shining down from heaven and I heard a voice that knocked me off of my high horses and I fell on my knees, a hell-bound, deserving sinner and I got up, a Jesus-loving, Holy Ghost-filled, heaven-bound child of God. He would say it like this, I went there to fight, but oh my, that night, God got a hold of me. Why, if anybody could say it with power and authority, it's Brother Paul. Now, for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and all things become new. God made a difference in his life, and he became a champion for Christ. Man, I'm glad Paul got saved. And brother, when word leaked out, that Saul of Tarsus got saved, nobody believed it. About like when word leaked out that you got saved. Yeah, I really believe that. Why, he won't last till the water gets hot. And Paul had such a vile reputation, <laughs> they wouldn't even open the doors of the church. They wouldn't even offer him the right hand of fellowship. They were so afraid he would backslide and kill them all. They must have been Calvinist or something. They must not have believed in the whosoever will plan of salvation. Let me tell you how much power the gospel has. It has so much power. It can take a Saul of Tarsus and make them an apostle Paul. It can take somebody headed to hell, lost without God, change their life, 
turn him around and make him a fit subject for heaven. That's why we preach the cross. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we preach the blood. That's why we preach the grace of God. Boundaries and borders and limits are erased when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And boy, they kept Paul at an arm's length. But oh, one day Paul is in a solitary place. And in walks a guy by the name of Barnabas, whose name means son of consolation. I call him Brother Blessing. And he walked into that room and then said, Son, I believe in you. Because the grace of God that saved you is the grace of God that saved me. And the gospel that changed your life is the gospel that changed my life. And the blood of Jesus that washed your sins away is the blood of Jesus that washed my sins away. And he took Paul under his arm and said, we're brethren. We're going to church together. We'll study the scripture together. And we'll walk the Christian life together. And here's how we live. Here's how we go to church. Here's how we pray. Here's how we tithe. Here's how we tithe. Here's how we tithe. I'm gonna say it to somebody that says amen. And here's how we do it. And Paul walks in that early, and Barnabas walks in that early church and says something like this. Hey, this is Saul of Tarsus. Now he's called Paul. He's met the master. He's been saved by the grace of God. His past has been erased. His sins have been forgiven. He's been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Receive this man as a brother. Love this man as a brother. Open your heart and hand to this brother. And one day, we're gonna be glad he joined our church. I wanna tell you something tonight. We'd have never heard about Paul. We'd have never read about Paul. It would have been for a Barnabas. Boy, aren't you glad when you was a baby, infant Christian, God put a Barnabas and not a judge in your life. I got some members, and I love them all. I love them all. Now, I trust some more than others. But I got some members that if somebody walks the aisle Sunday morning and gets saved... If they don't come back Sunday night <laughs> acting like they've been saved for 40 years, they say, humbly they got it. Yeah. How many remembers being an infant or a baby Christian? Uh, by the way, spiritual babies are like real babies. <laughs> Ain't no telling what they're going to say. No telling what they're going to do. Why, if you took a little baby, three days old, and laid it at this altar and walked out of this building and stayed gone for a week, you'd come back, that baby would be dead because there's nothing any more helpless than a little baby. Somebody's got to change it. That's what God made women for. Somebody's got to change it. Oh, I felt a witness there. That's what God made women for. Somebody's got to change it. Somebody's got to baby. Somebody's got to clean it. Somebody has got to take care of it because it's a baby. I'm glad when people get saved. By the way, I'm glad God is still saving sinners. I'm glad God is still saving sinners. Hey, the most boring church in the world is the church with no baby Christians in it. And when somebody gets saved, they don't know what you know. They've not been where you've been. They've not learned what you have learned. They're infants. They're babes in Christ. And they don't need a ball bat. They don't need a commentary. They don't need a judge. They need somebody to put their arm around them and say, hey, we'll grow together. We'll go together. I'll bring you upon your journey. Aren't you glad for those people in your life when you first got saved? They helped you. They encouraged you. And you are what you are tonight because when you was a baby Christian, God put a Barnabas in your life. 
I got a friend of mine who has this prayer meeting on Thursday. I told him, I said, one of these days God's going to open your eyes and you'll have it on Wednesday like they did in the book of Acts. <laughs> or like they had it on Tuesday like they're having during mission conference. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. He has his visitation on Wednesday. And I asked him one time, I said, why do you have your visitation on Wednesday? He said, you'll be surprised at who we find home on Wednesday night. I said, no, I pastor a Baptist church. I wouldn't be surprised till you find home on Sunday night, Wednesday night, or even Sunday morning. Say amen. One Wednesday night, this old boy come to the door. I mean, he didn't look like an independent Baptist. He looked like he'd been run over by a tattoo truck. He had deep sea fishing lures hanging everywhere. I mean, he was rough. And my friend stood there and began to share the gospel with him. And I, I, I don't know about California, but I love to see southern rednecks cry. Them old rough old boys, they, rednecks are so ugly when they cry because they're trying to hold it back. And, boy, my friend said, can I come in? He said, yeah, come on in. It didn't take long, just a few minutes. He got to that Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he said, preacher man, does that mean me? He said, yes, sir, that means you. And he called on the Lord and he got saved. He got born again. He got redeemed. And my friend said, now listen, you need to come to church tomorrow night. Make it public. Get baptized. We keep going to the baptistry all the time. So come on tomorrow night and get baptized. He said, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. My friend said to this day, I don't know what made me do this. He said, I turned around and said, you got any talent? You got anything we can use, plug you in? He said, well, I sang and played a guitar. He said, well, that's great. Do you know any religious songs? He said, yes, sir. I know that song about angels. Now, if you're from the South and somebody tells you they play a guitar and sing and they know a religious song and it's about angels, automatically you think, oh, come angel band. Not him. <coughs> My friend has about 1,500 on his prayer meeting night and man, all day long he's thinking, man, this is going to electrify our church. I win this guy to Christ on Wednesday. I baptize him on Thursday and he's already playing his guitar and singing for the Lord and serving God. Whoa, this is going to be awesome. He said, I got that old boy up there. I said, sing that song, boy. How about them angels? <laughs> he did. <laughs> boy, he got up there with that D28 Martin. He stroked that E chord real good. He jerked his head back, flopped his hair back, and he began to sing. I didn't know God made honky-tonk angels. I might have known you'd never make a wife. My friend jumped up and said, wrong song, wrong song, wrong song. He said, son, come here a minute. This is called a hymn book. And he took him in the back and taught him amazing grace, victory in Jesus. Now let me run the clock up about 25 years. That man now pastors his own independent, fundamental, soul-winning, Bible-even Baptist church and has won thousands of people to Jesus Christ. Yeah, he made a mistake. Yes, he messed up. But God put somebody in his life not to condemn him and beat him and push him and pull him, but he put his arm around him and he brought him on his journey. Aren't you glad? Let somebody invested in you and let's go invest in somebody else's life and bring them upon their journey. Thank God for the Barnabases that bring us on our journey in the commencement of our Christian life. Paul, is there anybody else? I can see Paul as he begins to smile and he say, oh yeah, Brother Joe, I'd love to tell you about another brother that brought me on my journey, Brother Onesiphorus. Now Onesiphorus is hard to pronounce when you're in a big way of preaching, so we're gonna call him Brother O. Brother O. 
Onesiphorus. Paul, what did you love so much about Onesiphorus? What did he do for you? And I can hear Paul say this, well, Brother Joe, when I got saved, hell got mad. Why did hell get mad when you got saved, Paul? He said, Joe, you don't understand. When God saved me, he got in the devil's toolbox and broke his best hammer and dulled his best saw. When God saved me, Brother Joe, he pulled me as an instrument out of the hand of the devil for bad and he put me in his hand as an instrument for good. I started preaching. I started being a soul winner. People started getting saved and hell got mad. And the storms and the troubles of life and persecution rose up against me. And Brother Joe, many times, I was arrested and I was put in prison not for adultery, not for stealing, not for public drunkenness but for doing right. And he said, I spent a lot of time in the prison and in the dungeon. He said, but nearly every time when I was down in the valley of suffering and persecution somebody would knock on my prison door. And I looked through the bars, Brother Joe, and it would be Brother O. It would be Brother O, that's a for us. Well, Paul, what did he do? He said, well, number one, he wasn't ashamed of my chain. You see, Brother Joe, when you identified with me, you put a target on your back. And man, people ran from me. Even religious people ran from me. I mean, to admit you knew me was dangerous. But all on this for us, he wasn't ashamed that I was an old time Christian. He wasn't ashamed that I was a minister of the gospel. He wasn't ashamed that I was a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, boy, I just want to thank God tonight for the people in your life and the people in my life that's not been ashamed of our stand and our testimony and our service and our love for Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you are a Christian and you love Jesus tonight, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. People that are living a life of perverse sin, they're the ones that ought to be ashamed. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. He was not ashamed of my shame. Paul said, it didn't matter. I could always count that man would be in my corner. You know how you've made it all these many years? Because God's put people in your life. They were not ashamed. Where do you go to church? North Valley. Oh, over there. Yes, over here. Gladly. Who's your pastor, Dr. Treble? Oh, one of those kind. Yeah, boy. <laughs> one of those kind. Old brother Sammy Allen, one of my heroes, he's, a, he's had a ministry like mine. He's pastored the same church for all, all, over 50 years, and he's preached 48 revivals a year for 45 years. And bless his old heart, he's about wore out, and he's like me, traveled a lot. And one day, one of his members was in the grocery store, and this guy walked, this other pastor in town walked up and said, uh, You go to Brother Sammy Allen's church, don't you? And she said, Yes, sir. He said, Wow, yuck. He said, Oh, man, he ain't there half the time. She said, No, but we'd rather have him half the time than somebody like you. All the time. Can I just pitch me a glorified fit right here? Aren't you glad when you walk the streets in this community and mention that man's name, you don't have to bow your head in shame of the immorality and the false doctrine. Brother, you don't gotta be ashamed of that man. Thank God that God has put a preacher here and a man of God here who preaches the word of God and stands for what's right. You don't have to be ashamed of him. Hallelujah. Thank God for those people in my life like him that's not ashamed of me. I can't preach in a lot of independent, fundamental, premillennial Baptist churches. I scare them to death. First thing they think, where did that hole in this preacher come from? 
I came from my mama, same place they came from. Say amen right there. I appreciate you not being ashamed of old time religion. Man, most churches this size wouldn't let a guy like me in Atlanta lead in silent prayer. But yet I get to come up here two or three days in a week. I get a motel room with indoor plumbing. I get free food, a car to drive, and a huge offering at the end of the revival. Hallelujah, I felt like James Brown. I feel good, praise God. Aren't you glad Onessa Forrest was not a, sh- I wonder if there's anybody in this room tonight when you were down in the valley and going through hell's sideways and fighting the battle, God put somebody in your life. They were not ashamed of you, but they loved you and prayed for you and they brought you upon your journey. Paul, what'd you love about him? He was not ashamed. Number two, Paul said this. He often, not just once in a while, and then he used a strong word. He refreshed my spirit. He did what, Paul? He refreshed my spirit. Oh, Brother Joe, you don't understand. Oh, Ranessa Forrest was not a liability to me. He was a blessing to me. He didn't weaken me, but he strengthened me. He didn't discourage me, but he encouraged me. Thank God for those Brother O's in your life and in mine. 2004, I was preaching in Kingsport, Tennessee, Went to bed that night like I do every night of my life, happy as a dead pig in the sunshine. Now, I really don't know how happy a dead pig is in the sunshine, but I just heard it all my life. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning with excruciating pain in my abdomen. I could tell I had a fever. I was bent double with pain. I waited till a decent time. About 6, 6.30, I called Miss Arthur. I said, baby, I'm sick. And I got that familiar. You'll be all right. <laughs> Suck it up. Be a man. Pay your dues. You ain't sick. It's all in your head. Bless God, I told her when I'm dead, I want to put on my tombstone. I told you I was sick. Two days later, I finally made it home and I walked in the house. My fever was 104 and a half. I'm white as a ghost. And she said, oh my, you're sick. (laughs) I said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That was dumb. Make a long story short, I was infected. Terrible with diverticulitis. They showed me the scans. It looked like World War II had gone on in my colon. Sick. First thing they'd done was, man, wow. (laughs) Took all my clothes off. And that little gown they give you to wear. I'm just telling you, Christians ought not to dress like that. And they don't care if you're a Dr. Arthur, pastor of Harvest Baptist Tabernacle International. They'll put that skimpy thing on you, put you in a wheelchair, roll you out front like a Walmart greeter, and there you are. (laughs) Boy, I'm out there doing that. One guy walked by and he was doing that too. I said, sir, I'm sorry. He said, me too. I just come to check the air conditioning. He wasn't even a patient. We got anybody here tonight in the medical world? Just listen to me. I don't know where they got all them names for all them diseases and all that equipment and everything, but I know where they got that I see you from. (laughs) You put one of them gowns on and turn around, they gonna go, I see you. Yeah. Let me tell you about the hospital. It's the coldest place you'll ever be. If what you got don't kill you, you'll catch double pneumonia in there. Number two, it's the noisiest place you'll ever be. They'll wake you up so you can get some rest. 
And then the worst thing about it, people will come to your room and say, oh my God, what have you got? Oh no, I know a man that died with that. This guy said to my dad one time, oh brother, I just want to be a blessing. He said, well go do it somewhere else. Right now it's not turning out that way. But here's the worst part about it. My family would leave at night and about 11 o'clock, here would come the devil with some demons he got from hell. And they'd invade my room and march around my bed and say, shout now, camp meeting preacher. Sing now, glory boy. Make somebody laugh now, hot shot. Rip off one of your encouraging messages now, big boy. You're done. You'll never laugh again. You'll never sing again. You'll never shout again. You'll never preach again. You're done. You're finished. I stop you here. And I'll tell you something. If you listen to that, it'll run you crazy. And all night long we go through that. Oh, but about 8 or 8.30, the door had opened every morning. And in would walk a layman out of our church named Preacher Smith. We call him Shouting, Praying Preacher Smith. Why do you call him Shouting, Praying Preacher Smith? Because he's the prayingest man that I know of. And why do you call him Shouting, Pray? Because he prays like this. Our Heavenly Father, oh, glory to God. Woo! In Jesus' name. Woo! Hallelujah. Woo! I'm going to tell you something, buddy. That old man moves mountains when he prays. And he'd come in my room and he'd say, Preacher, I know you're used to doing this for others, but it's my turn. I'm about to do that again. Woo! He said, I know you're used to doing that for others, but it's my turn today. And he'd read from the Word of God and he'd go to praying and then he'd go to shouting and he'd go to crying and he'd go to praising God. No, it didn't heal me of my pain. It didn't take my fever away, but it let me know I was not forsaken. I was not abandoned. I was not deserted. God put somebody in my life at the lowest point to pick me up and bring me over. Oh, my churn. Let me one, one, run one rabbit before I get to my last point. When storms and troubles and heartaches and difficulties and trials in your life come up, the worst thing you can do is stay home from church. Well, I'm not going to go back till all of my problems go away. Well, you won't ever be back. And by the way, you call a doctor when you get sick. You call a mechanic when your car won't start. If it's a Dodge, forget it. They can't even fix it. And... And, 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 and you call a lawyer when you've got troubles and listen just like the young people saying while ago when hell's breaking loose and the storm is coming and you're walking up the rough side of the mountain that's when we go to church so much the more so much the more so much the more this is a hospital this is a healing place we're glad you're here you're in the right place at the right time for God to put somebody in your life and bring you on your journey thank God for those who brings us on our journey in the commitment of our Christian life and thank God for those who bring us on our journey in the conflicts of our Christian life. Paul says, Brother Joe, we've got to hurry. These people have got to go to work in the morning. I'd love to tell you about Cornelius. I'd love to tell you about Aquila and Priscilla. I'd love to tell you about young Timothy. But Brother Joe, before we leave tonight, I believe I'd be amiss if I didn't tell you about another young man that brought me on my journey and his name is Luke. Paul, what do you mean? Joe, oh, Luke was a real blessing to me. Joe, I don't understand it, but sometimes the righteous have to suffer with the wicked. 
And Brother Joe, when I got to the end of my life, I wasn't in the palace. I was in the inner prison, a cold, damp, diseased, rat, roach-infested prison. And he said, I looked around, and he said, at my first answer, he said, I looked around at my first answer and said, all men forsook me. You know what I love about Paul? He's probably the most honest man outside of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He admitted, when I'm weak, I'm strong. He admitted there's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. He admitted I am what I am by the grace of God. He admitted that he was the least of all the apostles, and he admitted he was the chief of sinners. But he admitted this. Joe, I got it wrong, my first answer. By the way, Paul's not in isolated company tonight. How I many of you ever got it wrong your first answer? Well, that's not worth it. Nobody cares. The first answer. He said, in my first answer, all men forsook me. It felt like I was all alone. But I looked across that dim lit cell and sitting over in the corner was a young man I led to Christ by the name of Luke. You know what Luke was in his profession? A doctor. Paul got what he needed the most when he needed it the most. Now I'm just going to say this tonight. If you've got your own personal doctor that travels with you, you something. I called mine a while back. I said, I need to see you. He said, I'm booked up for a year and a half. I said, forget it. I'll take Geritol. But Paul had his own physician by the name of Luke. Boy, I can see Paul in that prison cell and the spirit of inspiration comes upon him. And he looks over there and he says, Luke, I appreciate you staying with me, boy. I got some things I want to tell my friends. Write it down and tell them. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And I kept the faith. Luke, I want you to write and tell them it's been worth every mile of the trip. Luke, I want, well, you're heavy. Luke, I want you to, I want you to tell them. I want you, don't you push me off. Luke, I want you to tell them I had a cross and I had a course and I had some conflicts, but I'm gonna lay it down on this side of the river and I got a crown over on the other side. And not only has he got one for me, he got one for you. And he's got one for all of his children that love his appearing. Woo! And how would you have loved to be in Luke as he walks with Paul the last leg of the journey. And watchest that man of God make the crossing. You know, old Luke is his companion, and he's there with him, but he can't go but so far. And he comes to the banks of the river, and Paul says, I gotta go. The time of my departure is at hand. And son, I got to set sail for worlds unknown. And son, as he crossed over, Jesus picked up on the other side. And I believe as Paul and Jesus is going into heaven, he looks back at Luke and says, Thank you, son, for bringing me on my journey. Now listen to this. No one that brings somebody on their journey gets left behind. Let me say that again. No one that brings somebody on their journey comes out on the short end of the deal. You say, well, how did it work out for Brother Luke to bring Paul on his journey? Worked out pretty good. Because uh, there's a book in the Bible where we learn about Paul, and it's called the book of Acts. And guess who wrote that? Luke. And guess what he wrote about? How he got saved on the Damascus Road. 
How did Luke know how he got saved on the Damascus Road? He learned about it while he's bringing him on his journey. Oh, yes, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospel where Jesus is a friend of sinners and he eats with sinners and he receives sinners and he goes home with sinners. Guess who wrote that for us? Luke. How did he learn about all of that? While he's bringing Paul on his journey. Because remember, if you bring somebody on their journey, thank you, man, you get to go too. And you get to go to the same place they're going. Paul's in heaven and he looks back and he says, I want to thank those who God used in my life to bring me on my journey. And who is it in your life that God has put to take you by the arm and hand and bring you upon your journey. I, I ask our people this question a lot. How many tonight knows what it is for somebody to be a real blessing to you? Raise your hand real high. If you know what it's like for another person to be a blessing to you. How many tonight will admit you wouldn't be where you are if others hadn't been a blessing to you? Well, you know the blessings somebody's been to you? You go do that. Amen. You go do that and be a blessing to us that we may bring us upon our journey. I'm glad for Jesus. I'm glad for the Holy Spirit. I'm glad for the blood. I'm glad for the Bible. But I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God that you may bring me on my journey. Our Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the word of the Lord. And Lord, thank you for allowing Paul to give us this great truth that a man like him made it because you put somebody in his life to bring him on his journey. Lord, I'm glad before me tonight as a group of people that God has given a pastor to bring them on their journey. And God, I'm preaching for a man that God has given him a church to bring him upon his journey. Lord, help us to be a blessing and an encouragement to others like people have been a blessing and encouragement to me. And help us tonight to invest in others that we may bring them on their journey. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.